We continue in this series, which is hymns from the New Testament written about Christ. It surprises me every time when I read these that so early in the life of the church, they developed a a theology significant enough to be able to write songs about Jesus. Uh, These are those songs. Now, the hymn in particular here begins in verse 4 and goes to verse 7. But we pick up verse 3 because it gives context for the rest of the passage. So the passage actually begins in verse 3 that we're going to look at. But the hymn begins in verse 4. According to USA Today, one out of every five men will commit adultery. One out of every seven women will commit adultery. Other studies show that one out of every two men look at pornography on a regular basis. And that one out of every ten persons embezzles from their workplace. My guess is that some of you have contributed to those very statistics. You sit here this morning and as I mentioned those things, bells ring in your head or memories go back to a time that you would rather not remember in your past. Paul knew that, and he begins this passage with an interesting perspective. He talks about who we were, what we did, what God did, and who we are. Who we were, what we did, what God did, and who we are. If you were in my Old Testament class, you may recall that that's considered a chiastic structure. And why would I say that word? Well, forget that word. But what it means is the part in the middle is in the crosshairs. What we did and what God did forms the centerpiece of this passage of Scripture. What does Paul say here to Titus, his student? He says, for we ourselves were once foolish for we ourselves he doesn't have to say ourselves he could simply say we and it would be sufficient so why does he had the pronoun ourselves to give great emphasis in two ways number one we have to own how bad we really are We have to own how exceedingly sinful we really are. And number two, Paul wants to make it clear that though he is this great missionary whom God has called to preach and spread the gospel, though he is this great missionary, Paul himself was this list. You see, we're in a culture who doesn't want to go to the place of admitting our sin, our wrongdoing, our failure. But good news isn't good news unless it's up against some bad news. I mean, theoretically speaking, there can be no good news if there never was any bad news. 
It is bad news that gives good news its perspective, just as it is good news that gives bad news its end. And so we get this bad news at the beginning of this passage, but we ourselves were foolish. That word always, almost always in Scripture means uh, discounting God, thinking that this universe is here not because God has done it, but uh, by happenstance or circumstance, we were disobedient. Uh, disobedient to whom? To God. And if you're disobedient to God, it follows that you will be disobedient to other authorities. Those who are disobedient to God demonstrate that by resisting other authorities. It's why as parents, and many of you are parents of young children in here, please hear me. It is why you must insist on godly discipline of your children. If your children rule the roost, if your children call the shots, if your children determine how things go in your home, if they are allowed to disrespect you, they will in turn disrespect God. If you do not build into your home a healthy respect of you as authority figures in your children's life, do not be surprised when they have a healthy uh, uh, disrespect or an unhealthy disrespect of God. So Paul says here that uh, disobedience is on the list. And up until this point, we kind of feel like we're on a level playing field but then he says let us stray and things start to go downward why because sin is the great abductor sin doesn't simply taunt you sin doesn't simply tap you on the shoulder sin is like the pervert who lurks back waiting to abduct sin stalks Until he gets a chance. And when sin gets the slightest opportunity, it runs in, abducts you, leads you astray. Sin leads us to become slaves. That word means just what it says. Slaves to what? Various passions and pleasures. Uh, The word passions, let me tell you what it is. Some of your translations render it lusts. It comes from a prefix and a main word, meaning desire is the main word. The prefix is over desire. Uh, Well, how does that work? Here's how it works. Uh, If you have a desire for food, that is natural and good. But if you overeat always, you have a... uh, a lust for food, and that's an over-desire. So sin has an over-desire. Uh, sin is pictured here that way. Uh, a desire for sex is natural, but if you are addicted to pornography, that is an over-desire. Or if you go outside of your marriage context, that is an over-desire. Sex is intended for a marriage between a husband and, and a wife, and that's it. And so sex outside of that is a, an over-desire. It is lust. 
If you want money, that's okay. If you want money all the time and you become covetous, that is an over-desire. This is what happens. This is what sin does. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Someone has said, when you have lust and you satisfy it, you have pleasure. And pleasure sought results in lust. And it is an endless cycle. So lust, satisfied, yields pleasure. Then pleasure sought brings more lust. Well, if that circle only went around, perhaps it would be more tolerable. But you know it does not. Because here's how it begins. Lust. I want something, I have an over-desire for it, so I satisfy it through pleasure. And once I do that, if I know Christ, I feel badly about it. And so I feel badly that I've done it, but as soon as that guilt or shame goes, the desire resurfaces and I do it again. Except that it's a downward spiral, it's a, a corkscrew. And when you do it, you keep going down and down and down and down. And when people end up in my office, which every week I counsel almost someone new, and when they end up in my office, they're so far down in the hole, they no longer see the light. They no longer realize right from wrong. And I sit with people who look at me and who will rationalize all kinds of sinful behavior that they never ever should rationalize. But they no longer see right from wrong, light from dark. They make horrible decisions at this point. And then when the light begins to shine in on their situation, they cannot believe they got that far deep in Lust, pleasure, pleasure, lust, and down and down and down you go. That's who we were. Well, what did we do? Paul says, passing our days. That means living our life in malice and envy. Malice is ill will. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, Jerry, I know I sin every now and then, but I, I mean no ill will toward anyone. I don't intend to be malicious. Well, alcoholics are that way. When they are not drunk, they're generally good people. They mean no ill will toward anyone. They're kind, they're pleasant, often holding down jobs, working every day. Great personalities. The list goes on. But let alcohol get in the system. And what happens? All of it goes. And that kind, pleasant, generous, courteous person begins to act maliciously. Kids go scurrying for cover. Mom runs to hide. Or maybe removes the kids from the home because it isn't a safe place while that person is drunk. The person in their drunken stupor may get in a car and drive down the road and cross over the center line and end someone's life. Sin, by its very nature, is malicious. It cannot be anything but. Sin, by its very nature, is malicious. 
And then there's envy. What is envy? Envy is a grudging that, that, that can't bear to think about somebody else's prosperity. Envy is, well, how did they afford that car? That's envy. Envy is, how did she fit into that outfit? That's envy. Envy is being unable to enjoy another's success. Sin, by its very nature, is selfish. By its very nature, is selfish. It cannot be anything but selfish. It seeks its own. And then, hated by others and hating others. I must say to you, when I first read this, I thought, those are such strong words. I know uh, several people who struggle with sin, but they don't, I don't think, appear to be hateful people. Until I was on my way to the hospital on Monday, I think, of this week. And many of you know that I can't drive. All right, that typically goes without saying, I can't drive. I know I can't drive. Most people don't want to ride with me, and so they drive. And I'm good with that because I don't want to drive anyway, so it works. But you also know that when you're going into the hospital, there is a two-lane road uh, or a four-lane road that should be a two-lane road. If you've been on that and you're driving in, and there is not enough room for two cars. I mean, but you got to have two cars uh, into that main thoroughfare going into the hospital, two cars on this side. And so I am driving in on Monday to see Bugs. I am not on my cell phone, either talking or texting, all right? I'm just driving when evidently I wander over into the other lane, all right? I didn't realize I had until... This guy lays down on the horn, and when he does, I look back in the rearview mirror, and I see him, and he is laid down on the horn, and so I correct. didn't take much correction, I promise you. I wasn't all the way in his lane at all, maybe like a sliver of my tire or something, but at any rate, I correct. I keep on trucking. I think we're all good until I look to my right, and he's driving this big, long, I don't know what I grew up with, called them hoopties, but this Big, long hoopty of a car, but it's got sweet rims. And he's driving that, and he gets up right beside me, and now his window is down. It's a cold morning, and I know he's not, you know, coming up to say hello. And so his window is down, and I think just looks straight ahead. And I glance over, you know, got decent peripheral vision. I glance over to see him and then hear him through my closed window screaming at me. Wow. Like, was I that bad over? I, I, I just didn't realize it, but that, that could happen. And so I just keep right on trucking, and he just keeps right on screaming when he does not realize somebody turning in front of him. And I look up and see them, and he's looking at me, and I'm thinking, this is about to get ugly. He came this close, I'll allow you not to T-bone in that car. While he was screaming at me, I just kept hand on the wheel, thinking I'm going to turn it. It's all going to be good. He goes by me, window down. He waves at me, and not in a very nice way. <laughs> For about 500 feet, me and everybody in front of me, he just let me have it right out the window. 
Sin is hateful, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that in that moment, what can overtake somebody? What can make somebody so angry? Sin, by its very nature, is hateful. So, wow, Jerry, this is, you know, a nice hymn here. We have love singing this one. I agree until this tiny little conjunction shows up in verse 4. But, wow. But when, what? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Wow, did we ever need that, amen? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God Savior appeared. We so needed the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior to show up. Because look what we were doing. Look who we were. Now that phrase, goodness and loving kindness, goes together almost always. It echoes the other hymn we looked at in John 1, which says Jesus came full of grace and truth. The goodness and loving kindness appeared. When did that appear? Ezekiel chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 describes the departure of the glory of God from the temple. And in that scene that Ezekiel uh, pictures there, the people who should be worshiping God, they've come to a, a place much more ornate and nice than this, and they should be worshiping God. And they're surrounded by all the glory of the temple when... When God looks in and there's this vision that Ezekiel has, he's in exile and he sees all of this unfolded. And when he does, God uh, is looking in and God's glory lifts up out of the Holy of Holies and looks down at the elders doing despicable things. And the women are weeping as if they're at a, a mourning service over the goddess Tammuz. Uh, she was the goddess believed to bring in uh, growth in the springtime, and it was fall. Things were dying, and she was believed to die every fall and raised to life every spring. And of all things, they're weeping over her in God's temple. And God's glory gradually moves out and moves out until uh, God's glory is positioned on the Mount of Olives looking over, and God leaves the temple. That is a bad, a bad day for Israel. God's glory is gone. When did his glory come back? Luke 2, there were shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord showed up. And a whole bunch more with her. And what was shining? The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. Why? Because God's glory is terrifying. God's glory reappeared at the birth of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. And when the loving kindness and mercy or the, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, what did God do? He saved us. Why? Because we were dying and we needed to be saved. And, and last 
We think not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Verse 3 makes it clear there's nothing we did to save ourselves. Nothing we did to pull this off. But according to his own mercy, how did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Those are interesting words. Washing. Let's take them uh, one at a time. The word washing literally means to be bathed. To be bathed. What does that mean? Yesterday, deluge of rain here. I mean, just rained, 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 rained. And so we go home, and Trent is at the house, and his buddy Seth is there. And Seth, all the way home, all the way up the road, I cannot wait to, to get home to, to ride the go-kart. We're going to ride the go-kart. I said, Seth, it is so nasty outside. Jerry, that's why we need to ride the go-kart. Okay. And so Seth and Trent get home. They get his go-kart out, and they get in that thing, and they get nasty. They go mudslinging, get mud all over them. What boys ought to do is great fun. Mud is all over them. And they come in, and Trent's just got mud down his leg. And so Trent goes, and he immediately gets soap and and says, Seth, you can use that shower. I'll use this shower. And they got to get clean, right? Not going to sit down on the white slip-covered sofa. No, that would would put it into a lot of things. So that ain't going to happen. They're going to get get cleaned up. Why? Because they're dirty. You take a bath because you're dirty. Because of the list in verse 3, God takes us and washes us and bathes us. That's why pride and Christianity cannot coexist because every person who came to Christ did so by being naked in your sin And God the Father washing you, giving you a bath. What kind of bath? One of regeneration. That's two words in the Greek, and and it means literally new genesis. Fresh start. New beginning. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. He he washed us off and cleaned us up and gave us a new start. That's what Christianity is. That's what faith in Christ results in. Just being washed. Being washed. whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Now, it's not just a little little sprinkle of a shower. I was in Honduras years ago, went to uh, San Pedro Sula, and then into four hours back into the country. So they said, here's your shower. We need to take you and show it to you before you use it. Okay, so we go, and these showers are called the widow makers for obvious reasons. There is this coil, a live coil, that's exposed. And so it coils out, and water drips through the coil. That's how the water gets hot. 
So it drips through the coil and onto your body. And I don't know how long it's been since you've been to Honduras, but most people there are short. And I walk in there, and the coil hits me right here. Right? So it hits me right here. The coil does. And I'm to take a bath in that. So a shower. So there's this trickle of water that's coming over the coil, and, and I stand there, and the whole time I'm showering, I'm saying, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. The whole time. Why? Because if I instinctively reach up, then I'll be found dead, right? I mean, there are many ways to die. That's just not the one that I choose. Uh, that's not what is happening here. It, it is not a trickle of water. It is buckets of water. It's like watching HDTV and seeing one of those Mac Daddy showers. You know, it's got a shower head like something raining this way and shooting this way and shooting that way. It's like going through the robo car wash. That's what it is. This is what Paul is talking about here. God just showers us with all that is necessary to wash all the sin away in our lives. That's what he does. He does that. So that being justified, then the question is who we are. Three words in this last verse. We are justified. What does that mean? That means to render righteous. Someone has said, just as if you had never sinned, we are justified. Number two, we're heirs. What does it mean to be an heir? It's a person legally entitled to another's property or rank upon that person's death. All right? So it's a person legally entitled to another's property or rank upon that person's death. We become heirs. So the question is, when did that happen? When Jesus Christ died on the cross. Through his death on the cross, we became heirs, legally entitled to his rank. What is his rank? Uh, we're, we're now children of God too. He, son of God, passed that on to us, and now we get to be called sons and daughters of God. As a matter of fact, John, in his little tiny letter, says, Behold what manner, or from what country, literally is what that means, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we could be called sons of God. We we get his rank, we, we get his property, we become kids of the most high and awesome God. Tim Keller says it this way, he says, the President of the United States cannot be interrupted in his sleep. Of course not. He has secret service, he has all of these people around him. Even if his wife needed something, she's got a crew of people to help her. Should she awake in her sleep feeling ill? But he says, if the president of the United States has a three-year-old, and that three-year-old from the room down the hall wakes up in the middle of the night and says, Daddy, that gets his attention. There is no staff to take care of the three-year-old from a daddy's point of view. president's going to jump up, run down the hall, and see what's wrong with his three-year-old. Thus it is with us and God. When we come to God, 
by faith in Christ, we become sons and daughters. It doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. We cry. He comes. We call out. He answers. Why? Because he's our daddy. He's, he's our dad. That's why. We're heirs according to what? The hope of eternal life. Number three, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. Christians always think future. Always think future. We always do. There's always a better tomorrow if you know Christ. Even if it were not to be in this life, in the life to come, amen, it gets better. Paul Paul pictures us as being lifted up by the love of God out of the muck and mire of our sin. I read this years ago and just happened across it this week again. Gordon MacDonald said that he pictured the baptism of Jesus. Remember the story when John baptized Jesus? He pictured the baptism of Jesus like this. He said there must have been some management types around. And those management types, when the droves of people were coming to have John baptize them, those management types, when all of those people were coming, said, you need to stop at these tables first. And on those tables, they had sticky notes. As a matter of fact, there should be one on your bulletin. Uh, They had sticky notes. So, George walked up and, person sitting at the table said, George, what, what is your worst sin? George says, I stole from my company. And, and the person writes, George, embezzler. Slaps it on his chest and, and George waits in line to be, to be baptized. Sarah comes and Sarah walks down. The person says, she's next in line. What is your worst sin? Sarah says, I I gossiped. A friend of mine made me really mad. I turned on her and I gossiped. And the person writes, Sarah, slanderer, sticks it on Sarah. She steps in line. Then there's Bob. Bob, what is your worst sin? Oh, for years I've coveted my, my neighbor's Corvette. Bob, coveter. Slaps it on his chest, and Bob waits in line. Then, then Gordon comes. Gordon, what is your worst sin? I had an affair. That's Gordon, adulterer. Slaps it on his chest. Jesus comes. He, he wants to be baptized, though there are no stickers to put on his chest. Well, the way Gordon McDonald pictured it is that Jesus walks through the crowd and he sees Bob and he pulls Bob's sticker off and puts it on him and 
in Sarah. And he takes Sarah's sticker and he sticks it on himself and, and George. And he puts George's sticker on him and Gordon. And he puts Gordon's sticker on him. He does that. And then he walks into the water and he looks at John and he says, John, I need you to baptize me. And John says, who am I to baptize you? And Jesus insists and John drops him in the water. And all the black ink of that sin on those notes washes away in that water. I want you to take that sticky note that's attached to your bulletin. And if you know Christ, if you're born again, I just want you to put it on you. Don't write anything on it. Just stick it to yourself right now. All right, look down at it. If you know Christ, that's the way God sees you. That's the way He sees you. Say, oh, but Jerry, every time I look in the mirror, there's this rewind that happens in my life, and I see this sin, and I see that sin. Uh, You're seeing things that God chooses not to see. Some of you are looking over at your wives, and your wives are looking at your husband and saying, I see a whole bunch of things on that thing. Those are things God chooses if you know Christ not to see. Our praise team is going to come. I'm actually going to lead in a song, and Andrew and Josh will be down here for the invitation. An old song I think many of you will know. But the song says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now what? Safe am I.